in God's presence this morning, singing His praises. Hallelujah. What a joy it is just to sense the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit among us. You know, He's here. The Holy Spirit is here. Whenever we lift up the name of Jesus, He comes with His presence, with all of His fullness, with all of His wonder and His counsel and His comfort to enrich our lives. And as we were just worshiping there, I really felt that um, the Holy Spirit in the moments that we have together this morning is going to vest some of us again with the garment of praise. You're going to go from this place with a garment of praise because, you know, sometimes life is hard. Most of the time, life is hard. It can be tough. And because of circumstances, our hearts can feel heavy. And when our hearts are heavy, that's when the spirit of heaviness takes opportunity to step into the heaviness of our heart. And for some of us this morning, we've come in here not only heavy-hearted, but actually with a spirit of heaviness. It's a spirit, the spirit of heaviness. I've been attacked by it lots of times, and I'm sure you have, right? He takes opportunity. He seeks opportunity to do that because of circumstances, because of disappointments, because things aren't going the way that we want them to go. All manner of things, He watches and He looks for an opportune time to take that moment. But you're going to be able to say bye-bye this morning, spirit of heaviness, because the power of the Holy Ghost is here in this place. And, and even now, even right now, as I'm speaking to you, some of you will feel it physically lift off your body. Circumstances aren't going to change, right? But you're going to be robed with that garment of praise, and you'll, you'll live... You live in some of the most negative circumstances with a bright heart. You live surrounded by negative conversations. You live, you'll be able to live in an atmosphere of unbelief and always speak positively words of faith because of the garment of praise. The garment of praise has a language of praise. The garment of praise has power in the midst of darkness, in the midst of every form of unbelief. The garment of praise is going to characterize you because God has seen the fact that in the midst of all of the disappointments, you've still turned up to praise His name. Like Michael said, sometimes it's easier to stay in bed, but you haven't stayed in bed. You've made the trip to come to the house of God, to be with the saints, lift your hands, praise His name in your pain. You're going to be vested this morning 
with the garment of praise. And, iris, and your circumstances will change. But irrespective, if they don't change immediately, irrespective to all of that, your garment of praise will, will cause you to be the brightest, the most joyful, the most, the most positive person there is in the midst of all of the negativity that surrounds you. So, spirit of heaviness, in Jesus' name, bye-bye. Get out! In the name of Jesus, bye-bye. Ta-ra! Ta-ra! Bye-bye. Hello, garment of praise. Hello, joy of the Lord. Hello, new nature in Christ. Hello, victory! Bye-bye defeat. Hello, more than a conqueror. Hello, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Thank you right now, Holy Spirit. We are dealing with supernatural things here. We are dealing with spiritual things. And Jesus did not die on the cross or go to the grave or ascend to the right hand of the Father for any of us to be under a spirit of heaviness. Jesus died on the cross, shed His blood, rose from the grave victorious over death so that we might live robed with the garment of praise. Thank you for the power of praise again in your people's mouth. Thank you for the power of praise again from the spirit and heart and center of your people. In Jesus' name, we give you the praise and the glory. And all God's people said, Amen! Amen! We give you praise, Jesus. Right now, we thank you for it. Hallelujah. Well, why don't you turn to somebody, welcome them to church, give them a big smile, and say, hey, that garment of praise looks good on you. Wonderful. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and what a blessing our musicians and singers word to us this morning, leading us into God's presence. Absolutely fantastic. Well, we were away last Sunday. James Wright, come on. Absolutely wonderful. I got chance to catch up with that message yesterday. What a blessing. What a blessing to have such a faithful man. I think James has been here longer than anybody else in this church. And, um, you know, he's, he's never spoken uh, up here before. Always just served behind, you know, his instrument faithfully. Never, you know, never raised his voice 
in contention with anybody, just a gentle-hearted, humble spirit. And what a joy it was. I'm sure it was for you. As I listened to it, it certainly was a joy for me. Wonderful spirit. And we thank God, don't we, for the gifts that are in this house that, um, that speak into our hearts and encourage, encourage us. So I'm glad that you were all blessed, had so many great reports about James's ministry, and I'm sure he'll be ministering again. What a blessing. What a blessing. Yeah, what a blessing he was. Well, I hope you're ready for God's Word this morning. <clears throat> we're continuing in the series of messages that we've been in, that we're calling The Greatest Exchange, and the title of today's message is The New You. The new you. Let me ask you, when you think about your life, does the word new come to mind as you envisage the picture that you have about yourself? Is new, the word new, a prominent thought in the picture that you have about yourself. Because new in Christ Jesus is how God's Word describes you. It might not be in your vocabulary in relation to your life as you picture your mind, but it's certainly in God's vocabulary as He describes His life in relation to your life. It's new, brand new in Christ Jesus. And all because of the wonderful finished work of our Lord Jesus on the cross. Jesus' work on the cross was not partial. Jesus' work on the cross for you and I was complete. It was perfect in every way. And that means for all of our lives, new life has come. That means for all of our lives, God's view of and God's picture of our life now is in a whole new, brand new way. Because He sees us, not as what we were, but He sees us as all we are to be in Christ Jesus, His Son. Why don't you turn to the person next to you? Again, look them in the eye and say, I'm brand new. Go on. I'm brand new. Turn to him again and say, there's nothing old about me. Nothing old about me at all. I'm new. God sees you as new. God describes you as brand new. He only has good things to say about His people. You open His Word, and your eyes and your, your, your mind and your heart is filled as you read it with all of the wonderful pictures of how now God describes us in His Son, Jesus. Now, of course, there's a multitude of things that want to stand to contradict what we have just said 
to one another about the truth that God proclaims over our lives as being new in His Son, Christ. Our thoughts and feelings, for one, rise up to contend with the new realities of this resurrection life that God has given us. Our thoughts and our feelings stand to argue such a new reality of life, such promises that we find in God's Word. But not only our thoughts and our feelings, sometimes the physical limitations of our body as it's slowly becoming weaker, objects to the promises and the spoken Word of God. Or, of course, the many voices of people around us. The opinion of others sometimes stands up to contend and argue with God's Word and description about your life. To point out that you're not new at all. That your life is just a continuation of what it once was, how they knew you to be. Sometimes people just want to point you back to the past. They want to trap you in a moment. They want to trap you and hold you to a circumstance or an event where you weren't living at your best. But God says, no, that's all come to an end. God says in His Word, all of that old stuff has gone. People base their thinking and their opinion about you on who you once were. But God's definition of you is not from an old, outdated history file that's got dust on it. God's definition of you is as He sees you in Christ Jesus now, holy, blameless, without fault, as Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2. You're holy. You're blameless. You're without fault. Colossians chapter 2 says it. Would you ever dare say that you are holy unless you had the authority of God's Word? to substantiate it? Would any of us ever dare to, to, to stand in the presence of God with confidence that we have the same holiness as the angels ascribe to God? God ascribes to us the very holiness that the angels day and night for all eternity have ascribed to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. The same inscription that is ascribed to God in relation to His holy, perfect character, God now turns to you and I in Christ, not an angel or not a myriad of angels, but the Lord of glory Himself. And He turns to you and He says, Lynn Bowen, holy, blameless, without fault. Faye, holy, blameless, without fault. Dale Wood, holy, blameless, without fault. Paul Marshall, Faye, Steve, and the rest of you. 
Richard Bowyer, holy, blameless, without fault. Hugh and Sue and all of that row, holy, blameless, without fault. All the tiered seating. And it's not angels that are ascribing and declaring holiness over you. No, you're so perfect, you're so blameless, you're so faultless in Christ Jesus now that God, His very self, smiles, I believe, with great joy and says, holy, blameless, without fault. Because we've been reconciled to God by the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, the work on the cross that Jesus accomplished was so magnificent. We, we can never imagine it. We can, we can never even understand the lengths to which He went to achieve the wonderful purpose and plan that God had for us in Christ Jesus. Now you're holy. You're blameless without fault. You're brand new. Brand new. If you were a car, you wouldn't be a Mini, sorry, John, or a Citroen Picasso. If you were a car, you'd be a Lamborghini Aventador. You really would. If you, if you, if you were a, you know, if you were a tree, you wouldn't be, you know, one of these little, little trees that you can pull up by the roots that that bends and bows in the wind. You'd be an oak tree planted. In fact, that's how God describes you, planted by the Lord. If you were a building, you'd just be a magnificent skyscraper. Glorious. You're the handiwork of God. You are. You are the handiwork of God. You're the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. His masterpiece. Hallelujah. You're new. Brand new. And that's how God sees us. That's how God describes us. We never, ever have to again struggle to try and piece together a broken, shattered picture of ourselves, trying to find our identity, trying to find who we are. No, we're new in Christ Jesus. The picture is perfect. The picture is not broken. The picture is no longer shattered. The picture is clear and bright. You're perfect in Christ, holy, blameless, and without fault. And this is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where he says that we're a new creation now. Listen to his words, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone, it doesn't matter what background you've had, it doesn't matter where you've been or what's been through you or how broken you come to Christ, it doesn't matter. He says, if anyone, anyone at all, is in Christ Jesus. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. You're brand new. 
You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. This verse could also be translated in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new species of being that's never existed before. Brand new. Absolutely brand new in Christ Jesus. That's the picture, the description that God has of you hanging on His wall in heaven. Glorious, wonderful, perfect, and holy. And none of us have a right to argue with that, to contend with the truth of God's Word as Paul presents it in 2 Corinthians that we've just read. To allow our, our opinions or the opinions of others to water down those words that have been spoken over our lives is to dishonor and call into question all of the finished work that Jesus did on the cross through His death and resurrection from the dead. Jesus, you see, went to the cross. Romans 8, 28 tells us, Paul tells us just before. He comes into Romans chapter 5. Jesus went to the cross to bear all of our offenses. And He was raised up for our justification. Jesus went to the cross to make our lives brand new so that all of the old things that once characterized our lives could be brought down into the grave and die and have no more hold on us so that we might rise in newness of life in Him. So today we're going to focus again on the new you in Christ Jesus. The new you that's completely free from an old past history. The new you that's made and created in the image of Christ Jesus. Complete, perfect, holy, blameless, and without fault. Vested with a garment of praise. No more heaviness characterizing your life, but reigning in life as Christ reigns in you. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first two verses in Romans chapter 5. And Paul's main objective in the first two verses of Romans chapter 5 is to help us to understand our lives in a brand new way. That's his main purpose. That's his main objective in these two first opening verses of chapter 5. And after reading what Paul has said in the first two opening verses of Romans chapter 5, we understand that beyond all doubt that Jesus did not come to make our old lives a bit better. No, Jesus came to bring our old life to a complete end in His death on the cross so that new life, His new life, could now begin in our lives so that we might have abundant life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. 
He wasn't talking about giving us an abundance of life like the same life that we previously had, just more of it. No, he was talking about the God life, the Zoe life of God in all of its abundance in our lives as we live in Him. New life, new you, a brand new you in Him. And Paul, in the first two verses of Romans chapter 5, is pointing this out, that everything has changed now as a result of us being justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Let me read to you Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 again, just to remind us as we begin this morning. Romans 5, verse 1 through to verse 2. Paul says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no question here in His, in his, in his thought. There's no doubt. There's no double-mindedness in, in the certainty that this man has. He's confident. He is certain about this. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, past tense, we have present tense right now, as I'm talking to you, peace with God. Right now, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt. It's not vacillating between opinions. This isn't open for a debate. This isn't open for argument. Paul is completely in full assurance of this fact for his life, and it has, it has wonderful benefits for living when we believe this. When we live in the power of this reality, it has wonderful blessing for everything in life. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom he hasn't finished. Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God of God. Now, over previous weeks, if you remember, we've made three points around these two verses that I want to recall to our minds this morning. And I'm going to just repeat some of the things that I've been saying to you over a number of weeks now. And I could get up here every morning, and I'm telling you now, for the next year, I could preach the same message when it comes to this. I could preach it word for word, every week, and you would be blessed by it. Because I'm telling you now, as we, as, we, as we process this, and as we receive it, and as it becomes power to us in our daily living, our lives truly begin to be transformed, and we begin to see this new life in our attitudes, in the way that we think, in the way that we respond, in, in the way that we, we interact with other people around us, even in the ne most negative circumstances, we begin to see the power of this new life, not bow down and, 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 um, and break apart. We begin to see this new life stand up in the midst of it all and shine with glory for God. So let me go through some of the points that we've made, especially the previous 
three points that we've made around these two opening verses. The first point we made from verse 1 was that how in Christ Jesus now we have an unbreakable connection with God. Do you believe that? Do you accept that? You have an unbreakable connection with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's unbreakable because it's been established on peace. That's why it's unbreakable. There'll never be any tension in your relationship with God. There will never be a moment of strife. The, the air between you and God will always be clean. There'll never be any heaviness in the atmosphere when you walk into His presence. You have an unbreakable connection with Him that's been established on peace. The air, the atmosphere will always be joyful. The air, the atmosphere will always be clean when you walk into His presence because of what Jesus has established in bringing peace between you and God. What the devil deceived Eve and Adam in the garden, by breaking down that peace, Jesus has reunited us and established us in peace. And now we have an unbreakable connection with God through Him that's established in peace. Paul marks this out very clearly for us in verse 1 where he says these words, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Not that we've established, it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's never going to give you the cold shoulder. God's never going to have a frown on His face. Or He's never going to be heavy-featured about you. No. There's always going to be joy in His heart in relation to you because you have an unbreakable connection with Him now that's been established forever in peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reality today. It'll be a reality tomorrow, and it will be a reality forever, for eternity, your unbreakable connection with God. Not even death will break it. Not even death will bring it to an end. It's established in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Oh, oh, I tell you now, we can never stop praising Him or giving thanks. Then as a second point, we said that added to our unbreakable connection with God, Paul shows us in verse 2 that we've been invited and introduced into God's grace. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Paul points this out in verse 2, where he says, we have access by faith into this grace. That's the Scripture, the verse, the words that he uses, we have access by faith into this grace. And the word access there that Paul uses is a descriptive word that pictures us, each of us, being taken individually and escorted by Jesus into the very presence of God. Remember? Do you remember how Jesus once said, I am the door? Well, when he said that, he was letting us all know that as the door, he alone gives us entry and access into the grace of God. 
You can't get in through your own effort. You can't get in through anybody else in this world. No matter what promises they give you, no matter how holy they claim to be or what disciplines they claim to have in their lives, they cannot present you faultless before the throne of grace. Only Jesus can. He is the door. He is the open access. He is the entrance into the very presence of God. And the moment that you place your faith and your trust in Him, you walked through the door. Jesus into the very throne room of God. Then following on from this, we looked at a third point of how we're permanently placed. Not only do we have an unbreakable connection with God, not only have we been invited and introduced into the presence of God, but we are now permanently placed in grace. Paul, with wonderful confidence and complete assurance, declares that our access to God's grace is not momentary. You see, our feelings go up and down. If, 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 if we're on a high and we, we're feeling good, hey, this is wonderful. Jesus is fantastic. Oh, this is so good. But the moment your feelings turn against you, the moment that, that you know, your emotions start to go on a bit of a downer, you put your, your, your hands on your head and you pull the covers over your body, and you wonder if you're in anymore. You, 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 you wonder. You wonder if, if, if God loves you today. You wonder if you're going to make it to heaven. And all of these feelings and all of these emotions and all of these voices rise up within you in contention to argue with you're not who God says you are. You are who you feel you are. No, you're not irrespective of any feeling, irrespective of any emotion, irrespective of any circumstance, you are permanently placed in the presence of God and you have the Word of God to assure you, to assure you of that certainty. You're in. You are in. You're never going to be outside anymore of God's presence. You are permanently placed in God's grace through Christ Jesus. Because Paul tells us that's where we now stand. That's where we stand. That's the word that he uses. And that's such an important word for us to take notice of. Such an important word for us to take hold of and realize. He puts it this way in verse 2. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You stand in it. That's the word that he wants us to take notice of. It's an important word. Because Paul, and I said this briefly to you a few weeks ago, Paul was not using this word stand in a physical sense. Like I'm standing physically here today, temporarily in this building. But in a few hours, I'm no longer going to be standing here. I'm going to be standing and my placement physically is going to be 
somewhere else. But Paul is not using the word stand here in verse 2 in that way at all. Paul is referring to a permanent, immovable, fixed position for all eternity. When it comes to your life in relation to the presence of God, there is a permanence of placing. There, 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 there is an, an immovability about your life in God now as a result of being in Christ Jesus. Not in a physical sense, but in a permanent, immovable sense for all eternity. It's like an oak tree planted and established, immovable and fixed in its position permanently. That's where it stands. That's where it will stay. Or it's like when a building has been set and fixed on its foundations to stand where it's been built and set in place. It's immovable. You can't pick it up and move it somewhere else. It's there, permanently placed, established. That is where the oak tree stands. That is where the building has been built on its foundation. And that is where it stands immovable. And you, in Christ Jesus, stand now permanently placed in God's grace forever. I tell you something now, that's something to be happy about. That's something to give praise about. That's something to rejoice over and to live, to live from and in. But as wonderful as all of these truths are, Paul still has more to say. As now he focuses on glorious life. And that's our fourth point today. What we're going to focus on what we're going to concentrate on is our glorious life in Christ Jesus. Because at the end of verse 2, Paul exhorts us all now, this is what he says, to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He says, think about everything that I've said. Think about the picture that I've laid out before you. And after considering all of these things, it's time now to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That word rejoice is a wonderful word. It means to jump up, to spin around uncontrollably. It can also be translated as the word glory or the word boast. Paul is saying glory, boast in hope of the glory of God. Now, He's turning our eyes and our attention towards the future. Now He's turning our eyes and our attention to what's ahead. And the picture of the future for Paul was not a dismal one. The picture for the, the, the future for Paul was not under dark clouds where the world was going to end and it is going to end. But beyond all of that, the picture of the future for Paul was bright was full of hope, was full of joy, was full of expectation and anticipation of the glory of God. His eyes and His mind was focused 
on God's glory. And he's calling everyone around him through his letters. And he's certainly calling us today as God is by his spirit to now begin to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is telling us to look ahead with great joy. We're not to be frightened about the future. The future should excite us. We should have great anticipation and expectation for it because the glory of God is what we are heading for. The glory of God will ultimately and finally have its full expression where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ and where Jesus finally will make all things new to express the wonder of who God is. That's glory. And Paul, Paul will not forget that. Paul will not be distracted by all of the circumstances around him to take his, his hope away from that. He's fixed on thinking and rejoicing over the glory of God to yet be re revealed. He's not focusing on the broken hopes of this old world, but confidently and continually rejoicing in the expectation he has for God's glory, for his true purpose to be seen. Paul is saying to us, listen, don't just see things as they are presently. There's far more beyond the pain and the chaos of this everyday world where hopes and dreams rise and fall and are shattered. Look beyond all the troubles of a world that's governed by sin. Look beyond all of the chaos of this world that's governed by sinful man. Let your heart burst with joy. Let that be your vision. Let the glory of God and the expectation of your hope generate joy in your heart as you think about God's glory. Because that's where we're moving. That's where everything is moving towards. That will be the ultimate end of all things. The express glory of God flowing through all of creation and not just in this creation, creation, universally, all summed up and brought under the headship of Christ Jesus as Christ Jesus has brought under the headship of God. That's where everything is heading towards in Him. Paul says... Rejoice in hope of the glory of God because we have a glorious life, a glorious life ahead of us. Now, previously in Romans chapter 3, Paul had given a very clear picture of why our world is so broken and damaged. Gives us a very clear understanding and it dates back all the way back to the disobedience of Adam. 
Adam's transgression has been perpetuated from generation to generation. Adam's transgression and sin has been perpetuated and magnified by all mankind after him who have been born in his likeness and created in his image. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul puts it this way, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice that. All have sinned and fall short. Fall short of God's glory. Mankind, as Paul sees and pictures mankind through those first beginning chapters, Romans 1 through to chapter 3, can never express the glory of God, which He was created for. Because all of mankind have been created in the image and after the likeness of Adam. But the wonderful news, the wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have been taken out of Adam. We no longer carry the image and the nature of Adam now because now, by simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've stepped out of Adam, we've been brought out of Adam, and we have been planted into Christ Jesus. Listen to how Paul pictures this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 through Verse 47 through to verse 49, he says this. 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 15, from, reading from verse 47, he says, The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. You and I once bore the image of the earthly man, Adam. We inherited his spirit of fear that spawned all kinds of sin and destruct, destructive tendencies. We lived, this is how we lived, falling short of the glory of God. But not anymore. You and I don't fall short of the glory of God anymore, praise God. No, we we go from glory to glory, as we'll see in a moment. We don't fall short of God's glory anymore. You and I, in Christ Jesus, go from glory to glory. Because now, we don't bear the image and the likeness of Adam. We bear the image and the likeness and are being transformed to become like Jesus Christ, our Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, Paul makes a stark comparison between being in Adam 
and being in Christ by saying, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You're not in Adam. You're not in Adam. You are in Christ, and you have been made alive in Him. How many are glad not to be in Adam anymore? How many are glad to be in Christ Jesus? And if you're glad to be in Christ, you're called. You're called every day to rejoice now in the hope, the new hope of your heart that you have in the glory of God. Because you'll never again fall short. You will never again fall short of God's glory. You're going now from glory to glory. Listen to this last scripture today as we come to a close. I'm going to ask the musicians and singers to come up. We're going to finish in just a few moments. Just listen to this last verse as I read it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18, Paul says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound like a person falling from glory, does it? That is a description of a person beholding the Lord, beholding the Lord, going from glory to glory. You're not, you're not falling from God's glory. You can't because you're beholding His glory, and as you behold His glory, you go from glory to glory. In order for you and I to glorify God, God has to glorify us. And the way that God glorifies us is that He puts us in His perfect Son to be conformed and transformed to His image. We haven't got time for this this morning, but in Colossians chapter 1, talking about Jesus, Paul says He is the express image of the invisible God. Jesus is the express image, the exact perfect representation in physical form of the invisible God. Guess who you're in. Guess who you will reflect. In Christ, you will reflect the perfect, glorious image of the invisible God. That's glorious. That's hope. And in 1 Corinthians 15, yes, our bodies do fail. And yes, finally, when the day comes where we will pass from this life into the next life, it is a sad day. It is a sad day. It is a, a, a day that many of us have already, in some way, shape, or form, have experienced. We've cried our tears as we've seen our loved ones go to the grave. Our hearts have been heavy. That is not a glorious thing. 
And Paul says that our bodies, in 1 Corinthians 15, you can, you can see it, check it out. Paul says that our bodies are sown in dishonor. They are sown in humiliation. It is not a glorious moment when we pass from this life and go to the grave. But hallelujah, the story for a believer does not end there. Paul says we do not, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. No, we've got hope. We've got hope in the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to say that which is sown in corruption is raised with an incorruptible body. Hallelujah. We only know the weaknesses and the limitations and the frailties of this human body, the, the residue of Adam's sin. But that will finally be done away with as we pass from this life into the next. We're finally, on that day of resurrection, God will even raise our bodies, not now in corruption. God will raise our bodies in a way that no man or woman on this earth has ever known. He will raise them in power. He will raise them incorruptible. He will raise them as a true reflection of Him of His glory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because it's the hope of the glory that Paul calls us all to rejoice in. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at a little this a little further maybe next week because, you see, when we begin to rejoice in hope, of the glory of God, we can, e we, we, we can even get a great perspective about suffering, about hardship, about circumstances that, are, that, that, that aren't going our way, that situations that, that come to attack us and pull us apart and pull us down. We can get a, we, we can get a correct perspective about it all when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray right now over you, and uh, then we're going to sing. Just think about these things. Go home this week and read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and the whole chapter. Just read it. Let the Holy Spirit apply it to your heart in His way. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place. We thank you for taking off a spirit of heaviness and placing on us a garment of praise. Lord, the garment of praise that wants to rejoice in hope of the glory of God that awaits us. We thank you, Lord, that fear, depression, addiction, insecurity, loneliness, worry, apathy, guilt, shame, anxiety, panic, paranoia, jealousy, envy, are all attributes of fallen glory, of fallen man. But they're not, they're, they're not our attributes anymore. They're not part of this new nature that you have given us. We're not falling from glory with all of these old attributes that belong in Adam. No, we're going from glory to glory. Lord, we thank you 
that our glory is in the fact that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. We thank you that our glory now, the glory that, that, that we've received in you, is in that we are more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens us. Our glory is in the fact that we know that we can ask anything in your name. And whatever we ask in your name, it shall be given so that the Father may be glorified. You're glorified even in answering the prayers of our heart. So, Lord, I pray for your people, beautiful people, blood-bought people, precious people in your hand. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place today, we will be confident about the unbreakable connection that we have with you. Peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be, we will be assured again of the fact that we have been invited and introduced to God. We have open access through the door. Jesus, Lord, I pray that we would be certain that we are permanently placed. We stand in this grace today, tomorrow, and forevermore. We stand in it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that that will cause us to rejoice in the glorious life, the glorious life that goes from glory to glory as we behold your beauty and think about your wonderful gift of salvation to us. And we fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray. I pray. In Jesus' name, this. I just saw in the Spirit a page turn. Hallelujah. And I saw many pages, many pages with lots of different, all different ugly scribbles on it. Picture it in your mind. Many pages with all of these ugly scribbles on it. I just pictured, I believe it's the hand of God, the mighty hand of God. Just rip it out of the book. And a brand new page turned and all of the pages ahead, brand new. That's your life in Him, child of God. The past is gone. The new has come. The old has passed away. Behold, all things about you now are new in Christ Jesus. Amen. Come on.